anti-Catholicism remains the only respectable prejudice. In this episode of Church and State, Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara discuss the tidal wave of advice contrary to nature overtaking civilization. For example, the L.A. Dodgers invite a sacrilegious trans group to perform, so-called. Corporate boards concern themselves more with political ideology than stockholders' interest. And at the Vatican, Francis appoints a sodomitical archbishop in Buenos Aires and expresses his anger over Catholics helping others convert to the true faith. Welcome to another edition of Church and State with Chris Ferrara and Brian McCall. You're looking good today, Chris. How are things in uh, Virginia? Well, in the infamous words of that skit from Saturday Night Live, it's better to look good than to feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Any uh, Civil War heroes, statues torn down late recently? They're all gone. The only only statue left is Arthur Ashe with his tennis racket up in the air, and there are kids below him reaching up. It looks like he's about to beat them with a tennis racket. (laughs) Wow. Well, our first story, take me out to the ball game. Baseball. What could be more American than baseball, more non-political, just family going out to enjoy themselves on a Sunday afternoon in smoggy Los Angeles? Well, even baseball, there's nothing that's left. Even baseball has been politicized in the new woke order in which we kind of find ourselves. As probably viewers know, the L.A. Dodgers decided to have a pride night. Bad enough. I mean, again, what's that got to do with baseball? But then they decided to invite to their hoot nanny the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence who are basically, and I'm not even going to show you a picture of this because it's so revolting, a group of drag queens, whatever, dressed up men in traditional nun habits, mocking and committing blasphemy against religious uh, sisters. So, so interestingly, they invited them, then they got some pushback from people that actually buy tickets from them, and then they disinvited them, and then they got pushback from the, the LGBTQ, XYZ, ABC, whatever community, and then reinvited them again. So, what else is left to be politicized, Chris? Nothing. It's a social contagion. I just don't understand, uh, other than diabolical disorientation, this absolute fascination with drag queens. These are just perverted creeps dressing up as caricatures of women, basically insulting women. I don't understand where the women's liberation philosophy has gone these days because these drag queens are nothing if not a grotesque caricature of what they think a woman is, which indicates that they're basically psychologically disordered people. But now apparently everything has to have some sort of drag show element to it, including baseball at baseball stadiums. But you said that they took corrective action, didn't they? Like, oh yeah, they fixed everything now because what I like to do with the uh, you know the, the manly commercials that followed the ridiculous endorsement. Right. Well, actually, like, it was no funny. I was there. I was on a retreat a little while ago where you know no phones, no out, no contact with the outside world. So one of the priests came and he said, "Oh yeah, there was a person on retreat a couple of weeks ago." 
uh, got off retreat, said, oh, I'm so glad now. Can't wait to go get a pack of Bud Light and listen to Tucker Carlson on Fox News. <laughs> he said how the world changed in one week. But, uh, no, the Dodgers, again, this is sort of part of this dynamic, right? Poke people in the eye, but then, you know, yep. act like, oh, why can't we all just get along? They, they've remedied this by announcing on Twitter that on July 30th, a month after they have this anti-Catholic blasphemy, they're going to have Faith and Family Night for all Christians to come and celebrate with the Dodgers. So after we insult you, we're going to have a whole day for you to come and pay money to us at our stadium. <laughs> Thus bringing new meaning to the term Artful Dodger. <laughs> you know, at the head of the perpetual, sisters of perpetual indulgence is none other than that fellow Brinton, the nuclear official under the Biden administration, who was fired after he was found to have had a fetish for stealing people's luggage and wearing the ladies' clothes inside. Did you know that? He was the head of this so-called order, of this blasphemous order of anti-Catholic nuns in drag. So it all fits together. And again, which is odd about it is, you know, what, you know, it used to be a time when you were, you made cars as a company, you were in the business of selling cars, right? When you had a baseball team, you were in the business of getting people to watch baseball. You know, and now from... Disney, as mentioned, Anheuser-Busch, you know, it's, it, it's, when did corporations turn into political action committees? <laughs> when the uh, liberals on the boards of directors took charge of them. And, you know, I have to say, this is a cutting edge area of law. We have to look at the question, and I'm sure, I'm sure courts will be looking at the question. There's already one class action lawsuit against Disney, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Mm. Disney has been sued by shareholders in a class action uh, for loss of value of the shares. But the issue presented is what happens when these boards turn corporations into what DeSantis called a partisan political fighting machine? Isn't that a breach of fiduciary duty? There's a corporation set up to advance the political agenda of members of the boards, or is it is it set up to perform the corporate mission and make profits for the shareholders? So this is a cutting-edge legal issue, but we're seeing this everywhere, and every corporation seems to have been infected by this social contagion. This whole idea of the transgender nonsense, that wasn't even a thing five years ago. And now not only is it a thing, but we have to honor and revere these seriously disturbed people who suffer from gender dysphoria, which was listed as a mental disorder in the DSM Diagnostic Manual not too long ago. As was homosexuality, by the way. Hmm. So it's a social contagion. It's, uh, it spreads uh, like a viral meme in the minds of at least the elites and the legacy media who promote these things incessantly. Of course, the vast majority of people know that it's, it's uh, sexual deviancy, perversion, and uh, absolutely abhorrent conduct. But we're not allowed to say that any longer. Well, again, beyond that, which is definitely true, that this is sort of gone to everyone has to offer incense to this God in the public sphere, but also the sort of anti-Catholic. I mean, they're so big about hate speech, hate speech, hate speech. But, I mean, could you imagine if, you know, the Dodgers had a show where a bunch of people just dressed up in Jewish garb and yarmulkes and mocked Judaism or mocked transgenderism. I mean, it would be shut down immediately, but Catholics seem to be the one group that it's okay to just insult, mock, and create hate, quote, hate speech. Against. Well, this is thematic of our discussion of the whole crisis in the state. 
which is that built into the DNA of political modernity is anti-Catholicism, which is why Arthur Schlesinger so famously observed that anti-Catholicism is the last respectable prejudice in America. Of course, more broadly conceived, it's, it's, it's Christophobia. It's, it's the idea that anything to do with the social kingship of Christ has to be extirpated from the memory of man. So that's why the enemy of my enemy is my friend, which is why Islam gets favored treatment. You wouldn't dare consider criticizing Islam publicly because Islam is the enemy of the left's enemy, which is Christianity, so it's the left's friend. There's even a T-shirt on this. It's a meme that goes something like this. A man says to a woman, this is all in a meme on a T-shirt, well, we believe that women should be treated as slaves and that we should have multiple wives if we see fit. And the woman says to him, you ignorant dog. And he says, no, I'm a Muslim. And then she replies, I'm sorry for offending your religion. <laughs> well, you're right. Exactly. Same thing. If they dressed up as Muhammad and insulted him, there'd be outrage. If they had a group come out in blackface, making fun of in stereotypes, you know, black Americans, there'd be this outrage. But you can mock uh, Catholic nuns and mock the vows of chastity they take with, with impunity. Now, as we say throughout these episodes of ours, yeah. this is thematic. The terminal state of our civilization represents mm-hmm. the final stage in a rebellion against the influence of the Catholic Church over the body politic, and mm-hmm. specifically the social kingship of Christ. This is the final stage now. You go from Christian man to transgender man. <laughs> An inescapable trajectory once you've abandoned the influence of the church over social affairs. Well, homo economicus is the middle step in that. (laughs) Oh, that's conservatism now. Homo economicus is is rock-ribbed conservatism. Actually, it's neoliberalism as the church recognizes in her social teaching. Hmm. But no, that's considered the the arch-conservative position today, to be homo economicus. Everything is all about profit and capitalism. And so the defense of Christianity has been replaced by the defense of capitalism. Hmm. Until you then, as we just talked about, harness the forces of capitalism and turn it back into politics. I mean, in many ways, what we've really become is not capitalist. We've transformed back, I think, into mercantilism, where essentially the government and industry are one and pursue not economic primarily, but political objectives. I mean, that's really, we've almost come full circle to that. Well, Fox News is, is lost to the cause now. But I have to say, I've been watching Newsmax as an alternative. It was a commentator on Newsmax a few days ago who talked about this whole cross-dressing, transgender, complex phenomenon. And he basically called it what it is. He said, these people are sick, perverted people who are threatening the social order, and we have to stand up and oppose them. You don't hate them. You don't put them to death. What you hate what they're doing. This is the classic Catholic teaching about it. Hating the sin while loving the sinner. You don't help these people by giving approbation to what they do. We call what they're doing what it is. Deviant and perverted. And that's what they're saying. They're not afraid to say it on Newsmax. If we had been saying this from the beginning, we wouldn't have lost all the rhetorical ground we've lost and which it is now almost impossible to regain. If you accept the vocabulary of the enemy and you agree to debate on the enemy's terms, well, the first step is you accept homosexual relations as normal, which is what Fox News does. There's nothing wrong with being a gay. Those are good conservative gays, but they're engaged in sodomy. And if you don't call it what it is and you surrender that territory, 
well, where do you stand to oppose transgenderism? Where do you stand to oppose cross-dressing? I even see commentators in Fox News saying, you know, as an adult, I like a good drag show. Nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to children, we can't allow that. So Fox has retreated to what the Italians would call l'ultima spiaggia, the last beachhead, or what mm. we say in English, the last ditch. The last ditch is the consulting adult principle. You can do anything you want if you're a consulting adult, but we draw the line at kids. Well, if you allow consulting adults to do whatever they please, and that doesn't encounter any moral opposition, then there's a very thin line between that and children. How old is a child? Right. 12, 15, 16, 18. What's the, what's the dividing line between the consenting adult and the non-consenting child? So they, they've already surrendered. They've lost the battle on Fox News and in, in most areas of so-called conservative opinion today. Mm-hmm. Very few are willing to call it what it is, which is evil. In fact, this commentator on Newsmax concluded by saying simply, this is evil, radical evil. Wow. Well, and in the last uh, ditch offer that the American empire, this empire is offering, is the same as the end of the Roman Empire, the beginning of Christianity, just join the Pantheon. And again, that's this now faith and family night. So just be quiet, join the Pantheon. Christianity, faith and family is just another god that we want to put in our Pantheon. As long as you don't actually say anything or do anything, just go sit in the corner of the Pantheon while we have the drag show going on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict remarked this. He likened this mm-hmm. to the situation of the Roman Empire as it was collapsing. He said today the structures involved in moral consensus have failed. They've collapsed. There is no moral consensus any longer. And then he, re- he recited this Latin phrase, come Holy Ghost that you may save us. And which he likened to a liturgical phrase at the time of the fall of the Roman Empire, a phrase that was in use in the liturgy at that time, which is now applicable at this time in our in history, in salvation history, as we watch a civilization tottering to its fall, to use the language of Pius XI, the mortalium animus. Yes. Oh, actually, I think it was uh, Ubi Arcano Dei in which he said that. Civilization, and this is during the interwar period between the two world wars, civilization, he said in the 1920s, is tottering to its fall because it has rejected the foundation stone of social order, which is the social influence of Christ the King, mediated to society via the Catholic Church. I think you're right. It was, that was his first uh, encyclical, Ubi Arcano, right. where he announced his, his program. But, right. Well, I guess moving from Sodom, Los Angeles to Gomorrah, <laughs> we'll go to Rome. Oh, uh, <laughs> so uh, turning to Rome, there's kind of two stories that came out recently uh, about. What's the same Francis, story, by the way? Which is the same story, yes. Uh, so one is Pope Francis has appointed a new archbishop to Buenos Aires, his own home turf, his home field. Um, and this is father then, you know, becoming bishop, Jorge Ignacio Garcia. And uh, after the announcement of this appointment of uh, this this new bishop to Buenos Aires, a another priest who's a former chaplain to the uh, uh, Argentinian army, Father Rodrigo Vasquez, uh, who was in the seminary with uh, Garcia, Ignacio Garcia, I was ordained two years after him, sent out an audio message via WhatsApp to various friends, which made its way into the public domain. And in this WhatsApp little commentary, he reflects on his former seminary colleague. He says he, referring to Ignacio Garcia, is a homosexual. 
He supports homosexualism and all that crap, and he also supports terrorism. He is a Kirchnerist, a Peronist, and a re-Franciscista, says uh, Vasquez. Uh, he wow. says it's the worst thing that could have happened to us. I think referring to the archdiocese. The worst other than the, other other than the election of the current occupant of the chair, Peter. Then. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, since then, it's the worst yeah. thing that could have happened to us, I guess. But again, I mean, this is sort of at a, a rare moment. I mean, really being honest. I mean, what what he is? He's, he's a homosexual. He supports it. He's. I think this Franciscista means he's a, a company man. A Peronist, uh, I think this, I mean, his description could apply to Francis, it seems almost. But then interesting, this guy panicked and has denied everything. Right? You know, this thing's when it's got reported in the media. He says, ah, they were, I, I didn't, they don't, they don't respond, they, my words don't correspond to reality. What Wait, he said, so he said, he said his own pronouncement of the truth of the matter was right. a lie. And he I have I nothing, <laughs> and I have nothing against homosexuals. I have nothing against homosexuals. Well, we, we know, I mean, the, the, the pervasiveness of the, yes. of the homosexual clique in the seminaries is now an established historical fact. I know one seminarian who left seminary, and the stated reason was, I didn't want a boyfriend. <laughs> they insisted that he had to have a boyfriend if he wanted to be in the seminary. So this is not a surprise. And Francis is, uh, of course, the gay-friendly pope who uh, basically has devoted the last eight or nine or ten years of his pontificate to validating homosexual relations by showy gestures, including interviews with personal audiences with homosexual couples, and transvestite couples, and transgender couples. All manner of sexual deviancy meets with his approval and his demand that we accompany these people. Unless we're going to the Latin Mass. Yes. Then, then it stops there. Yes. <laughs> Meaning, refrain from any condemnation of the errors that they represent. Yes. So there's no condemnation from him of the kind of behavior that is typical in seminaries these days, which this new uh, elevation to the episcopacy represents, the triumph of, uh, of the gay mafia within the human structure of the church, which is another sign, along with what's going on in the state, of a terminal condition. The difference being that the church, of course, will survive but our civilization, there's no guarantee that it will survive. It doesn't look like it's going to. Well, and again, linked to the first story, look at his final comment, this priest, after he basically says, I lied about everything. He says, and now he never said, I hate homosexuals. He just made a comment about this person, what he was. He says, oh, and I don't hate homosexuals. You have to, again, drop your incense in the, the little censer in front of this new God and declare your loyalty to that regime. Again, he never said anything about not hating them and about hating them. Why does he have to sort of throw that in? By the way, I lied and I love homosexuals. It's the people who condone homosexual activity, meaning sodomy, and who accompany these people on the road to hell who hate them. Because true charity, love for the other, would mandate that we tell them the truth not in a way that would drive them away, but in a way that would suggest to them that they reconsider their behavior. There are ways of doing that charitably to wake people up, and it has been effective. There are many ex-homosexuals who realized that there was a way out of their disordered condition. They found the way out, they took the way out, and they now proclaim to others that it can be done. You can abandon this orientation and even become sexually normal again and marry and have children. 
Of course, that notion is condemned by the legacy media and the entire establishment, the idea that you could actually turn away from this perversion and recover your wholeness as a human being is anathema to these people because it's all about the destruction of the good. What we're witnessing in every department now in civilization and the church is a war on the good. Yes, and obviously with pitched battle, it's, it's pitched battle and it's reached a turning point now. And it seems to us as we do these episodes that only divine intervention is going to turn the tide in favor of the good at this point, because humanly speaking, it's impossible. I mean, look, look at what we're seeing in the United States of America with the L.A. Dodgers promoting a bunch of trans, uh, transvestite nuns who make a mockery of Christ and his church. Obviously, Francis has nothing against this bishop or against these things, but no. we will find out in the next story what he does have something against, uh, because it's, once again, story time with Pope Francis. It seems <laughs> whenever he meets with a religious order, usually Jesuits, but this time it was the Barnabites, it's story time, and he likes to share these little stories from his past that illustrate his character, like the one, you know, a while ago that he met the Jewish person, told her not to convert, and was upset that she converted. So as another similar story he told on May 29th to the Barnabite community. He says, quote, I came out of the sacristy, and there was a very elegant lady, also rich, with a boy and a girl. Now, just pause there for a second. <laughs> who, who doesn't like to judge everyone, he immediately noticed judges this woman. By oh, she's elegant. Yes. And obviously she's rich. Yes, Yes. obviously. Bad. So continuing. And the lady who spoke Spanish said to me, Father, I'm happy because I've converted these two. Pope Francis's reaction? How wonderful. God will grant you reward for your great work. No, no, sorry. That's not it. His reaction, quote, I became angry. So this lady does what our Lord commissions the church to do on the ascension. Go you therefore and teach all nations, right? Baptizing them, bringing them to the truth of the faith. She does it. And what does his vicar say? I'm angry at you for converting this young boy and young girl. <laughs> no, he's, he's completely negated the divine commission. And in his mind, it's, Go forth and refrain from making converts of all nations. Do not baptize them in the name of the Father right. and the Holy Ghost, but leave them as they are. But, you know, he, he obviously caricatured this encounter. I'm sure the woman didn't say to him, oh, I converted these two people. She probably didn't put it that way at all. God. She probably said, these are two people who have entered the church. I was happy yes. to make their acquaintance. I told yes. them about the faith. They became interested. And after studying the faith and praying about it, they became Catholics. No, he presents it as, oh, the rich lady converted people. First of all, anyone who understands the process of conversion would never say, I converted them. Mm, the Holy yes. Ghost converts people. All you do is make the introduction. Yes. So this just shows what a nasty, narrow-minded, vindictive personality we're dealing with. This is the same Pope who, let us remember the infamous incident, he was down in the catacombs. Going, uh, going around looking at the tombs of the various popes who had preceded him, he sees an altar boy like this in a respectful posture because, after all, he's in the catacomb in the presence of sainted popes. He goes over to this little boy and pries the boy's hands apart. He says, what's wrong with your hands stuck together? He did that for the cameras. Yes. So he, he thinks nothing of laying his hands on a little boy and pulling his hands apart because the boy has the audacity to show signs of Catholic piety. 
we're, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a vicious ideologue who, by the way, spends all of his time condemning ideologues. Exactly. Well, it's almost from the very beginning, uh, everything he condemns is essentially self-accusatory. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> he typical. Condemns people who are Gnostic, who have this bizarre sort of secret knowledge you can't understand, Pelagians. I mean, everything he's turned out to essentially be himself. <laughs> well, he's a classic liberal projecting onto others yes. his own faults. And he's been doing this from the moment his papacy began. It's nonstop insults against essentially Catholics. Yes. You know, this pope doesn't do Catholicism. It's really that simple. He has, he has something else in mind. Someone else said, Perhaps we have a pope who doesn't even do God. I'm beginning to wonder what his conception of God is. Do we ever hear him talk about the Holy Trinity? Mm, rarely. <laughs> he has some notion of God as uh, some sort of amorphous substance in the sky, apparently, or a force, the force. Let the force be with you. And the force can be found in all religion. This is the modernist notion of God, some, some sort of spiritual force that suffuses itself throughout the world and, of course, he classically confuses nature and grace and says that grace animates all of nature. So everyone has grace. Grace of the air, as someone put it, I forget who. So that basically all religions are pretty much on equal footing and they're all potential vehicles for conversion, which is the whole modernist thesis. Well, and all of which has its origin in the that very troubling statement and an ambiguous statement in Vatican II documents that the Son of Man, in a certain sense, has united himself to all mankind. Right? This idea that, ambiguously put in that statement, that Christ saved everybody. Yeah. Even though his, his salvation was sufficient to save everyone, it would not actually have that effect of saving everyone. Even without Luther's act of faith, you can be saved because you're right. an anonymous Christian. Now, of course, this is a, we have to be fair, though. This is a mysterious subject. So Pius IX, in his encyclical, the name of which escapes me, uh, I'm trying to recall it, it was an encyclical on the issue of what will be the fate of those who are outside the church. So no one is condemned without personal fault. So how is this worked out in the economy of salvation? We don't know. But that's the whole point. We don't know. So, so stop, essentially, he says, so stop talking about it. So stop get on talking with about right. it. He said, stop Wait. talking about it. It's a vexatious subject. It hasn't been revealed to us. It's not for us to know. But what we do know is this, the church is the ark of salvation. Yes, absolutely. But instead, last 70 years, if, let's talk about nothing else but how this is saving everyone. So it's kind of the opposite of his. Well, the exception has followed the rule. The rule, Yes. So the now, actually, and, and, and Cardinal Ratzinger, I, I think I've mentioned this in previous episodes, he gave this great address at the University of Dallas in the 90s about this idea that all you need to be saved is a conscience that does not accuse you. So if you have a good conscience, you're saved. And Cardinal Ratzinger said, this explains the demissionization of the church. Why would anyone try to convert anybody? Because if your conscience is clear, supposedly, then the faith is nothing but a gratuitous burden upon you. Right, because so then your conscience might bother you. You might find out you're doing something wrong. Yeah, so leave them alone. Leave them in their state of ignorance, and then they'll be saved by their ignorance, which means the ordinary means of salvation is ignorance of the truth. Yeah. And Ratzinger said in this address, that's an absolute disaster. It spells the end of missionary activity. It spells the end of the church's effort to implement the divine commission. And that's what we're seeing now, obviously. Again, a terminal state of affairs that has to be rectified 
it looks to me that, humanly speaking, it's impossible to rectify it, and divine intervention will be required. Well, it brings to mind the words of our Lord to the Pharisees. You make void the commandments of God by your own traditions. That's, that's what we're seeing happen again. And by traditions, lowercase t, the traditions of Vatican II. Which is the Protestant error. They condemn human tradition, yes. which is actually apostolic tradition, and they yes. replace what they condemn as human tradition precisely with human tradition. Human tradition, right. Well, there you have it. On church and state, we're attacked by the L.A. Dodgers throwing a pitch at us and Pope Francis getting angry with people who want to spread the faith. So as we walk through this or survive this uh, great assault of church and state on the traditional faith, all we can do is put in the hands of Our Lady that she will rescue us from this. Yes, as we've said many times in these episodes, Our Lady of Good Success said, when all seems lost, that is the beginning of the great restoration. Maybe we haven't quite reached that point, and maybe the great restoration, following all that seems lost, will come on a blast crater. That used to be the Vatican. We don't know, but it will happen sooner or later. It has to. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chris. It was good discussing these things with you, and hope to see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, God bless, and keep the faith. Church and State with Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara is brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. The message of Fatima is the solution for our time. Only she can help us. It is therefore urgent that we live according to Our Lady's message and share it with everyone we know. For more resources and to support this vital apostolate with your donation, visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for us, and long live Christ the King.